Hey, everybody, welcome back to Mad Tales. This is James Knoll, and it is Thursday, August 6th, 2020. I'm coming to you from Studio X in the still stormy Fredericksburg, Virginia. This particular episode is something new. I wanted to give you a bonus episode. I was on a podcast, Brian V's Why We Work podcast. So this is not a short story. This is not a chapter in a novel. This is just a nice little bonus interview Brian did with me about my process, all the different things that I do, and I thought it would be nice to share it with you. So here we go. I hope you enjoy it, and I will see you next week. I'm Brian V at Why We Work, and today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Mr. James Knoll. Good day, fine sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I thank you. I Again, a LinkedIn connection, and I've been following you, and you were messaging me and telling me some things are going on in your life, and you are a busy man. And I, I think <laughs> right after, I don't know what you're doing like the last couple of days, but you were into a big project there last week. And yeah, uh, I'd like to get into that project. But first, can you give a little introduction, but more specifically, when you first started to work, what was one of your, your first job, and how old were you? Earliest job was probably helping my brother with his paper route. He would uh, wake me up. He was He's five years older than me, so I was probably eight. <laughs> Were you helping him or was he telling you? <laughs> he, he was telling me to help. I was not getting paid for this. <laughs> it was super early in the morning, and, and I think I did it once or twice. And I was like, yeah, this is your job, not mine. Um, but I think my first real job was at a sub shop. Okay. Um, I was trying to get a job. This is the 80s, uh, so 19... 84, 1985, I was trying to get a job at TCBY, which is a franchise yogurt shop, yogurt shop, frozen yogurt shop. Um, and I blew the interview. Um, my, uh, a friend of mine was working there and, and I did the interview. I was really nervous. I was young. I was 15 years old. Um, and so my dad uh, got me a job with a, a friend of his who owned a sub shop. So I worked there for a couple of months and used that experience to get the job that I wanted, which was a TCBY. And then uh, moved on from there. Why did you want to work? Why did you want the the sub job? Why did you want either one of those? What was your? I didn't really want life? the sub job. I wanted the uh, the experience. Um, I think at TCBY. What were you thinking there? Why were you thinking like experience at fifteen? Where did that driver determination? Just to have. Well, I mean, you know, one thing is just to have money. You know, that's when you're starting to become a little bit more independent from your parents. Um, I knew I was getting my license in a year um, and I wanted to be able to afford gas and insurance, uh, things of that nature. And, and the freedom that, you know, I, I grew up in the suburbs. So the freedom that a, a, a car provided uh, was definitely one of the motivators and, and girls and friends and, and, and all that stuff. Did your brother um, happen to get a car or something prior to you too? And then you kind of saw some. Oh yeah. He had a, well, I think what happened, I, I didn't know this until later, uh, but my dad came home with a, a, a 1985 Ford Mustang and said, hey, I got this for you to, to my brother. And then a couple of months later said, okay, now the payments are yours. And so my brother was kind of like forced into uh, holding the bag. Uh, yeah. And so he started doing that. But I, you know, I saw him with all the freedom that he had and yep. uh, how much he enjoyed the car. And that, that for him has continued. I, I'm not a car person, but he mm -hmm. is. Um, but for me, it was more about having that independence, about being able to, to be my own person and, and all the things that teenagers feel now. Teenagers felt since there's been teenagers, you know, it's a way of escape. How did you like the uh, yogurt business in the subway? Well, we would say oh, I hated it. Sub <laughs> I hated it so much. Uh, it, once, I, once I got into, you know, that's, that's food retail, essentially. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, it's everything that people understand that type of work to be. It was long hours, little pay, a lot of sloggy type work. Um, my boss at the sub shop was a little draconian. Um, he got, he, uh, he would get upset with me if on my break, I sat down and like leaned my head up against the wall or something. And 
if you're on your break, you should be working. I was like, what are you talking about, man? I got, I got 15 minutes here. Um, same with TCBY. It was just, you know, it, it was just really difficult work. Um, and no real reward, even, even the money, you know, I, I think I lasted there as much as I wanted the job initially. Yeah, initially. I lasted there for maybe three or four months. Um, and then I got a job that I really, really loved that kind of, forecast where I was going to end up going with my life, even though I didn't know it at the time. Which was? Uh, I ended up being a daycare counselor, uh, an okay. after-school daycare how old, counselor. How old were you at, at that this time? point? I'm 16. Okay. Um, and so my, another friend of mine, Franklin, uh, he's a, a childhood friend of mine who lived next door to me. He had been working at this place called Country Day Daycare. Um, and he said, you've got to, you've got to work here. It's great. I was like, well, why? I mean, I don't want to watch kids. He's like, no, it's, it's not that. And I got the job and it was awesome. I, I would spend three or four hours after school. Yeah. I was in high school at this point. Um, and so the, there'd be like an hour and a half, two hour break between the time my school got out and the time I had to be at work. So, you know, I could go home and take a nap, get a snack and then go to work, work for another three hours, maybe four hours playing with kids. We played dodgeball and soccer. Yeah. And, you know, if it was raining out, we watched movies and it was just a whole lot of fun. And there were no late hours. Parent pickup was six 30. Yeah. You know, maybe we had to wait until seven for you yeah. know, a late parent to get there. Um, and then I was home uh, and I could do my homework and hang out with friends or, you know, video games were a thing. So I'd play that or watch TV, go to bed and go to school the next day. And even better weekends were off there. You know, there's no, uh, after school daycare on on Saturday and Sunday, so I had weekends, holidays, snow days off, um, so it, and I absolutely loved it. At this point, for high school, were you thinking what you wanted to do for college, or were you not quite sure? No, I, you know, I knew I was going to go. I didn't know why. Like a lot of people, I, I had a couple of friends that when I ended up going to college, they were said we were concerned about you. We thought you were just going to stay around town and you know work crappy jobs. I was like, oh. I didn't realize I had that reputation. (laughs) I thought, you know, I was going to go just like everybody else. Um, I thought I was doing pretty good here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What are you talking about? They were taking all, they were taking like the AP calculus classes and the AP government classes. And I I slacked off my senior year. Um, Ironically enough, I took AP physics, which math and science are not my thing. (laughs) But physics Um, are okay. I should have, yeah, I should have taken AP English, but whatever. Um, yeah, and even when I got to college, I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I was good at English. I knew that's what I liked to do. Yeah. Um, once I started taking the the liberal arts classes, I realized that I didn't want to take any of the other classes, uh, the ones that they make you take. The, the mm-hmm. history class was okay, but then I had to take a math class and a mm-hmm. macro and microeconomics class, and I I did the opposite of what they told me to do, and I put those off until like my junior and senior year, and just delved into. <laughs> Uh, to all my English classes. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until sophomore year, they, they make you declare. I was like, well, English is what I'm good at. So that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be an English major. So what was your hope to be a writer or to be a teacher? Or did you not know? Um, I was getting into writing at that point. I, I, I had been since I was 16 or 17. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know how to write. I, I could write well for academic stuff. I, I was writing fiction, but you know, it's at 16 and 17. Yeah, yeah, trying out short stories. Well, what was um, your first story when you? I mean, not so much the first, but one that you can. <laughs> what, what well, were you writing at sixteen and seventeen, I was writing science fiction. I um, there's a there's a story called "Repent, Harlequin," said the TikTok man, by Harlan Ellison, um, and it was in one of those you know world's greatest science fictions, nineteen sixty six, nineteen sixty seven. It's a, a, a collection. And I would read those things back and forth. I just loved them. I remember sitting in bed, reading that story again, the, the TikTok man story. And I thought, I could probably do something like this. And I went downstairs and got on the family Commodore Amiga, uh, which had, at that point had been just used for Defender of the Crown. Um, and there was you know, a pre-WordPress, or not WordPress, but a, a pre-Word program that we had on there. Um, and I sat down and, and wrote a story. And it was a science fiction story. It was absolutely horrible uh it was something about i was trying to be satiric without even knowing what satire was at that point i was 
trying to be funny without really having a sense of irony or, or hyper oh, I had it, but I, I didn't know how to portray Define it, on, it yeah. on, on the page. Yeah. Uh, and I remember I, I, it took, it took me a couple of hours and finished it. And I brought it to my girlfriend at the time. I said, Hey, read this. She looked at it, she read it. And then she's kind of, I was like, well, what do you think? She's like, you should keep trying. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, all right. Okay. Uh, at least you didn't say stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was, it was very nice of her. Um, yeah. Was there someone in your family, because, I mean, you're getting into English and you're talking about some of the books that you read and then into writing. Mm-hmm. Was there someone in your family that prodded you towards your joy for reading? Would you even define it as a joy for reading? Because it sounds like you oh, yeah, absolutely. devour, devour books. Yeah, well, maybe not as fast as some people, but yeah, I, I'm constantly reading. Um, yeah, my mother, she, she got me into reading very, very early. I, I remember... When I finally decoded everything and figured it out, I brought a stack of my, you know, my Dr. Seuss books down to her while she was watching the, uh, uh, the Carable Netso, I think. <laughs> um, and I just started reading to her out loud. And, and, you know, from that point on, there was always a, there was always a book around. It was something that I could always retreat to. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but just personality wise, I'm fairly introverted. You know, it doesn't mean that I don't like people. It just means I need to to have some alone time. And that's where I would get it. I could go home. I, you know, I'd read a Stephen King book. I read short stories. I, I, you know, got into a clockwork orange and all those dystopian novels. And you, I could use that to kind of relax and recharge. Um, but between her and my brother, my brother was the one who would also, he was like, Hey, you should read this. Here, here's one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Hey, uh, here's a clockwork orange. Like I said, Hey, did you get the new Stephen King? And they would just feed me stuff. And then, you know, there's, bookshelves all over the house and so i just have my pick i just walk around and you know i'm gonna read i didn't know stephen king wrote four books and you know pick that one up and and move on from there and then start developing your own tastes and and move on i think you might have mentioned it, but what was your first piece of writing that you handed in to someone beside your girlfriend for a critique oh that was junior year uh and we were supposed to write a fictional story I ended up fictionalizing some event that uh, you know, that we went to up at my mother's relative's house up in Jersey, um, and that crashed and burned really, really well. It's, it was I was I was up against another kid in class, uh, meaning we we we've been partners, um, and he wrote this amazing piece, of course, uh, and then and every, and he wrote first, of course, to read his out loud, and then I read mine, and it was just crickets. I went oh, totally failed in this one as well. Um, but, you know, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, I, I got the feedback I, that I, that at the time I needed. Like you know, every writer when they go into writing for the first time, especially that age, you don't know what revision means. You don't know really what constructive feedback means. And so that's that's what the teacher was trying to say. Is like, look, it's not going to be perfect the first time. This is a rough draft. And so you get the positive stuff and the negative stuff, and you go back and redo it and. Uh, I, I went back and wrote a different story um, instead because I was embarrassed and I didn't know how to, you know, handle that particular situation. But I, I, I put it through three or four drafts and then my teacher was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's that's how you do it. And so you learn from those particular situations. How is your, your balance of confidence with your writing, even though it needed some revision versus standing there and reading in front of your your classmates, the confidence? Could, did you have a balance with that? Because personally, I remember my mm-hmm. first year of university, my first communications class, and my knees were shaking, and yeah. I was scared. I had turned 40 people in the class. I looked at my communications teacher. And I said, my knees are shaking. She's like, shut up. Just keep going. <laughs> Even though I had the paper here in front of me. But yeah. how was your balance with that? Because um, you're probably I, mighty I, with the pen. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, naked in front of the class. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly. It. I, I don't know if if my voice was shaking or my knees were knocking at that point. I, I do remember one of the things I was trying to make sound funny uh, did not come off as funny <laughs> at all, um, and there was just silence. And it was that you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach and you're in front of your, you know, this is an advanced English class in eleventh grade, and I was like, oh man, I blew it. And you know, from that point on, you just kind of and finish the story, and everybody's waiting for you to be over. Um, and there's been plenty of those moments oh, too, you wow. know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially following the other guy who, who just nailed it, you know, and, 
it was like he was like I think he ended up being the valedictorian, and uh, he just he just knew what he was doing at an early age, and uh, it's you know there wasn't any ever like any jealousy on my on my half i was just always like man he's so much better yeah. at me than this but that's uh, that takes humility right like just to say no that guy's talented right It'd i suppose kinda, or just recognizing it yeah recognizing yeah. i mean yeah. to acknowledge that wow that guy's talented and i have some ways to go yeah and also just being a nice person uh, but also i think it, it wasn't a secret how good he was everybody knew that because he was he was killing it across all of the the subjects and it was just one of those things like i have no idea where this guy came from but he's amazing um and i think he had transferred over freshman year so we didn't you know <laughs> nobody knew who he was at that point. Horses. Yeah. <laughs> exactly it's like wow you're awesome and, and maybe somebody just for good, you maybe yeah exactly just for you just to realize okay you got to work on it a little bit more and then you'll succeed that's yeah that's why people like that exist it's it's uh, it's what gives you your drive sometimes. Like, oh, I, I got I to gotta hit that level. So after university, what was your, what was your mission? I was a drummer in punk rock bands, and uh, we were touring up and down the East Coast, playing basements and bars and small clubs, and we recorded a whole bunch of albums. And that was what we were trying to do. I did that for about three and a half, four years. Did you write some uh, songs? Handle yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, it, let me see. In one of the bands, I had a few in there, even though I didn't know how to play guitar. I, you know, I, I got a bass and I kind of plunked around and figured out what the notes were and showed it to the guys who knew better than me. And we fashioned a song out of that. You know, I could, I could yell scream <laughs> or, or sorry, yell sing, you know, with some sort of melody in there, some sort of harmony. Um, Another band, I was I started getting more confident, and I was a fifty percent songwriter uh, with that group. Um, and then you know, because you hop around from band to band. I mean, you know, they last you know a year or two. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so the, there was another band. You know, those those first two were punk rock ish or just rock bands. Then I got into like an alt country band where I was a one third singing partner and, and, and writing partner. Um, then I, after that, I got kind of got tired of of, of writing. Uh, and I just want to play drums. So I played a cup. I was like, they're like, you want to play backup? I was like, I do not want to sing right now. I just want to play drums. You know, I'm already doing five things at once and adding singing in there is six. So <laughs> let me just play drums. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. How much, well, even bringing up the confidence level, how much was that good for you to be on stage? I mean, I, did that add value compared to your being, you're in high school, standing up mm-hmm. there reading your good writing that, <laughs> you probably could have done better, but now you're on stage right. getting that practice. Yeah. Like as a teacher, I know that mm-hmm. coming to Korea, I'm a teacher in South Korea. So right. this was the best thing for me to stand up in front of these classes for whatever I do in life, just to yeah. do this on an ongoing basis, really boasts your confidence. Just gets you more familiar with standing in front of people. So being in yeah. a punk band, I mean, <laughs> I'm, you know, it wasn't country all the time and it wasn't, you know, a ballad of sorts. And you guys are right. probably up there jumping around screaming and and enjoying yourself. Yeah. How, how is that for your confidence? Yeah, I mean, especially with the bands I was in, we got a lot of good feedback uh, to the point. I mean, there was, there was always, you know, the, the negative stuff. And this is when the internet was just coming around. This is the, you know, late 90s, early aughts. Mm-hmm. And we got some snide, nasty comments online that, that we, we learned very quickly uh, to to block the, you know, the comments section on our website. But most of it was just it, it was it was excellent feedback. Pe- people loved the music; they loved hearing us play. Um, it was to my comfort level because I got to sit behind a sea of symbols, meaning mm-hmm. three symbols. Um, but you know, I'm back there on my stool. Uh, and you know, the singers in front of me and, you know, the bass player and the guitarist, they kind of take the heat off of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could just, you know, be up there and not feel like I was the focus of the attention. Um, which makes, you know, you feel a lot more comfortable as you do it more and more and do it more and more. Um, or, and then once people start applauding, if you did something well, or they like the song, it's like, Oh, okay, I'm good at this. Like I can do this. And then it's just about practice and being up there and doing it over and over again. And then all those butterflies and the nervousness and the, and the need to apologize. I remember the first couple of, of 
sets that we played, you know, we would, we would make a minor screw up and the guitar player would, would say, ah, sorry about that. And like, we did a little, like, uh, I guess an autopsy of sorts after them. And I was like, don't apologize. They don't know. Just act like you did it right. Uh, cause that's, you know, that's, you know, they want to cheer. They don't want yeah. you to, 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 they don't want to think that you don't know what you're doing. Um, and after those went away, then it was just kind of like, oh no, okay, I've got this. I, I can, I can sit up here and play and I can, you know, take the spotlight and, and share it with other people. So it really, yeah, it really does boost your, your, your confidence level and gets you, like you said, used to being in front of a, cl- a crowd. It's um, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you, when did you put your, your drumsticks down? I still haven't, I, I haven't been touring as much, but you know, it's been probably 15 years since I've been in like a band that has okay. regular rehearsals. Um, and that's more of a time thing. And, and you know, you get a job, you get a career. I, I have a family. My, my, my girls are all grown. They're out of the house now. And, and it's, you know, you don't want to go to work at seven o'clock. You know, you're waking up at six or five fifty-five in my case, you work all day long, take a quick nap and then go play with a whole bunch of sweaty guys in a, in a crappy warehouse for five hours and then have to get up in the next morning and, and you know, you drink Miss beer you and they're smoking. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I can't really do that anymore, but the music thing has never gone away. And what I did instead was, I, um, and learned how to, uh, to engineer my own music. And you, know, you learn about EQ and compression and mic techniques and, uh, and, and how to mix better, how to master better. So that's what I've been doing with music for the last 15 to 16 years. Um, and because I write fiction, it, it occurred to me a while ago, um, I, was, I think it was about 2013, um, I had all these short stories. I had a, you know, a couple of novels at this point, and I had a li- large diaphragm mic and a complete Pro Tools setup. And I went, oh, I could totally do audiobooks. And the reason I felt like I could do audiobooks is because I'm an English teacher and I read all day long out loud to kids and you can put the voices on and uh, figure out what the pacing of something is so it doesn't feel like you're just a narrator reading something. Uh, because a lot, of, a lot of authors, as good as they are writing, can't perform what it is that they're trying to do. Um, and so, yeah, maybe some of that, that performance as a punk rock drummer and, and singer and being up on stage and then reading the students all day long filtered into that confidence is like, I could totally read an audio book. Um, and then from there I started doing songs to match the, the fiction that I was audio booking and, and it kind of nice and everything kind of dovetailed and swirled all together. So uh, what that's the started way I started with music. What started first, your book writing, your short story writing that you published or your profession in teaching English? Or teaching? Uh, teaching, definitely. I mean, I've been writing all along. I didn't feel confident enough to publish until tw- until 2013. And it was teaching, because I, I teach English and creative writing. It was, and I write with my students. What grade is this, or are you in university? High school. High school. I'm in high school. Uh, so uh, technically 10th, 11th, and 12th graders, but you know, mainly my, my students are 11th graders and um, uh, in creative writing, sometimes some 10th graders and 12th graders join in as well. Um, but it wasn't until I learned how to teach creative writing and was writing along with my students and I treat it like a workshop. So, you know, give them an assignment. They'll have a week and a half to, to write a draft and then we workshop it for a, a couple of class periods. And what does a workshop look like for English class? For mine, it's, uh, you sit in a circle and everybody's got copies of their stories and they, they pass them out and I go, all right, so here's, this is flash fiction. Um, and you know, John's going to read it out loud and we're going to jot down some comments about what he did well and what we think needs work or what didn't work for us. And after he reads it, give us like three or four minutes to, to kind of get our notes together. And then I open it up to the class and everybody says, well, here's what I like and here's what didn't work for me. Um, and that's the best feedback you can get. So they're not just getting comments made by me. Uh, which they're never going to read. Students do not read comments at the high school level made by their teacher. Um, they're getting it verbally from and written down from everybody. Yeah, from their peers, exactly. Um, and it's, it's, it's amazing when you see how much they can grow as writers uh, if they are actually taking that workshop seriously. Uh, they do a fantastic job. What is, for high school kids, I think 
they get um, pushed under the bus a lot for not being motivated, not um, mm-hmm. caring much. But obviously, it's a generalization because there are yeah. kids that do care. What is your pitch, for lack of a better word, to the kids of why it is good for them to read, to you know, hone their writing skills for their future? What What is a, maybe a typical thing you might say to them off, off the cuff or at the beginning yeah. of classes? Yeah, to the ones who are resistant, I go, look, you're going to need to communicate at some point in your life. And this is a way of figuring out how to communicate well, succinctly, um, and with reason and logic, no matter what it is that you're writing. If it's 11th grade, you know, we're, we're, we're teaching them basically argumentative essays and narrative uh, structure, narrative essays. Um, you know, the AP classes that I teach, it goes well beyond that. It's more literary analysis and rhetorical analysis. Um, but yeah, that's what it is. Like, I don't care if you're an HVAC repairman, a plumber, an English professor, uh, a colonel in the army. If you cannot communicate, you're not going to do well. And this is going to help you do better in whatever it is that you're, that you're looking to do. Um, and that, more than anything else, is, is the best sell. Because uh, especially the, the 11th graders that I teach, um, just the regular English kids, uh, they might have had a, a a bad English teacher in the past who you know makes them write because they have to write, but they've never explained the purpose of of doing it. It's just because you're supposed to do it. It's like mm, that's not really that's not meaningful to anybody. Um, and they're not you know a lot of those students aren't going to college. Uh, they might go to uh, they might be nurses. Uh, they might be going into computer science and not need a computer science degree. Some of them are some of them are going to go into trades. Um, and so telling them that literary analysis is important because of their thinking skills is, is not something they, they really care about, but telling them if you can't communicate to a client, why they need to get something done or why you're doing a specific thing for them, um, you're not going to get clients or you're not going to get hired by a boss who needs to know that you know your stuff. Um, and that works better. I, I wouldn't say it's like a complete sell because they're still high school kids. Yeah, how, how receptive are they? I mean, generally speaking, do you, do you see that some of the, you know, let's say bad apples, like actually start mm-hmm. turning pretty good and say they're, they're understanding uh, it or is that few and far between? Yeah. You know, by, by the time they get to 11th grade, their, their, their patterns are pretty much decided. And you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't call them names or anything this because there's such a, there's such an array of, mm-hmm. of difficult things that people have to go through in their Absolutely. life yeah. um, that that's one of the, one of the things that I, that I learned the, very early on being a teacher, which is at first I was like, I can't stand teaching this kid. And, and he's such a, you know, it's such a hard, he gives me such a hard time or I, you know, it's, it's his mouth or his behavior. And, uh, and then you realize where this kid's coming from or where, uh, you know, what, what they've had to deal with or why they're acting the way that they are. And I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's always going to be people that you don't like students or, or adults, but my job as a teacher is to assess um, what they can and cannot do and help them. And, and you just kind of, when you cut through all of the behavior, if they are behavior problems and you get to know them as people, um, even if you know, they're still going to fail your class because they're just not going to do it. Uh, it, you you still have made this relationship with them that goes beyond just some, you know teaching that content and, and you end up going like hey I just want to help you out what is it that I can do and and I hope they appreciate it you know I, it, it makes life a lot easier for everybody when you approach them as human beings instead of kids uh, to you know dump information into. When did you or what was your motivation to publish your first book? I'd always wanted to. And I had enough short stories and a novel done that I, and the, the self-publishing uh, revolution had come around. Um, and because of my experience with, you know, being in punk rock bands, that's all DIY. Um, you know, you would, you would be laughed at if you showed up at a gig without merch and your own CDs that you self-produced and, and screen printed yourself. Um, and so I never understood because <laughs> that's, that's gas money. That's food yeah. money. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but in the publishing area, there were still the gatekeepers mm-hmm. and the system that's put into place that, uh, maybe for good reasons and maybe for bad, but this allowed a lot of people from even giving it a shot. And 
it was uh, create space was at that time, uh, you know, this is 2013 and it had been around for about five years and I just found out about it and I thought, Oh, I can do it myself. I've done it myself with these other things. Um, the stigma is still there and it was definitely there in, in 2013, but it, it's slowly going away because prior to that it was vanity publishing. Uh, meaning, you know, you had to buy 500 to a thousand copies of your crappy book uh, that was poorly edited uh, and try to sell it. And usually they just ended up moldering in your garage somewhere. But this way you could order one or two copies and, and if ch changes needed to be made, you can make them immediately and for free. Um, and so just as a, as a model of, of getting it done, it was attractive to me. And then also because I'd always wanted to do it and I was a creative writing teacher. So I wanted to show my students, I was like, look, you can write your own book. Now you can publish your own book. Uh, it's just like in the music space. It's just like in the indie film space. And you can, you can do these particular things. Um, and then I just didn't stop. I just kept writing and kept writing and kept publishing. And kept how, publishing. how good would that feel to be an English teacher? Um, myself, not a good one, but M1. <laughs> having a product, having your, your baby, your first published mm -hmm. book, and bringing it into your class and saying, look, in, in front of your students saying, look, look yeah. you can do this. I've yeah. done this and this has taken me 20 years or, you know, from the first <laughs> piece of writing to actually get it published. How yeah. good does that actually feel? Like, I mean, that's what probably going into, it's almost akin to going to your family and saying, look, this is on yeah. sale at, on Amazon, right? And you're bringing yeah. your students to show like, you know, there's maybe one student there that will, you know, pursue that path maybe. But how does that feel exactly. to do that after so many years of being hesitant for whatever right. reasons? To publish it i mean i, I can't remember like uh, exactly. a feeling of yeah. triumph or anything actually to be honest since i write horror and science fiction at first i was a little bit wary of what uh, my yeah what my administrators might say uh or if there was going to be any pushback so i kept it on the down low for a little while um but gradually, you know, you can't hide something like that. I am showing it to my students. Like, did you write a book? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I had some copies in there. <laughs> I can um, see. And, but yeah. teacher, Mr. Noel, he's writing horror <laughs> books. Did you guys see it? That goes all around exactly. the school. And like, teacher, why didn't you tell us? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, well, and some of the covers I was trying to choose uh, it, that would be, uh, I guess, something that wouldn't, I wouldn't be judged for. And, and now in, in hindsight, I'm like, that's stupid. I'm just going to choose the best cover that, you know, uh, that, that comes to me. Um, and that, that came from going to a lot of conventions uh, where you're selling your, where I sell my books or, and, and just being around other horror authors. And they're like, you need to make your, your cover scarier. You need to, you know, go a little bit more into yeah. what horror fans want to want to read. And then realizing that there are a ton of people who love horror. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not, it's not something that doesn't sell. Uh, horror movies constantly sell. Well, you um, said you wouldn't is, stop. So how many books yeah. have you published now to this point? Uh, nine, I think. And I'm on my 10th. I had to shelve my 10th one just because of how busy I got. And I, uh, I usually like to take like a, a month in between novel drafts. And this time I was trying to squeeze way too much in and, and went from one draft to another. But yeah, nine books. Uh, how, total. What does your writing process look like? So for people, you know, who might be a, a grade nine student thinking they like writing or a high school student or an English teacher or anyone yeah. else, what does your process look like? I mean, that's like talking to Michael Jordan and asking him how did he practice his free throw shots or how did he, you know, practice yeah. zone or something like how do you practice or how do you implement your writing to come up with that final draft? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I don't think I'm the Michael Jordan of, of, of writing, definitely. Um, but you're working towards it. I mean, nor would he say, right? You know, hopefully. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to be humble. Um, <laughs> it was good. Good attempt. Thank you. Uh, so, I mean, are, are you talking like start to finish, like with a short story or a novel? Um, yeah. Well, pick a type of writing and how would you go about it? I mean, if you're talking, you take like to take a certain amount of breaks, that must mean you have some ideas up in your head first and foremost mm -hmm. that you want to yeah. get out on paper. Yeah. So at first I was very much what people refer to as a discovery writer where you just, you have no plan and you just go and write and see what happens in teaching though. I realized the, the relevance and the, and the power of having a plan 
And now that I'm getting into screenwriting, you know, screenwriting is very prescriptive um, down to like where you're supposed to have specific beats on specific pages of a script. Um, I'm getting into that a little bit more. But so in the world of, of fiction, they call you a, a planner or a pantser, meaning you've planned it all out and you stick to that plan or you fly by the seat of your pants. And so I've become kind of a planter, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm right in the middle and I'll, I'll plan out what I want to happen, but allow myself the freedom of interesting uh, misdirection or irony or surprises that my characters might uh, do or, or, or respond to uh, that I didn't plan for. So I can take it in that particular direction. Then I can just go back and, and notch the plan a little bit and, and change things around. Um, so I'll start, you know, a short story. I'll, I'll, I'll plan the whole thing out and I'll write a first draft and see where it goes. Um, my first draft, draft story, first draft being how many pages? For a short story, I try to hit about 5,000 words and okay. I'll write about a thousand words a day. And sometimes that's easy. Sometimes that's not. Um, sometimes I'll write 1,200 words one day and 400 the other. But, you know, I, I try to get it in no matter what. Uh, and that's just what I'm drafting. Um, you know, in, right now I'm in between drafts and it's kind of a relief because I got other things to focus on. Um, but yeah, a thousand words a day. So I have a draft of a short story in a week. I set it aside for two weeks. Uh, and then I go into a, a, a development draft to see if the story did what I wanted it to do. Um, I'll seek, you know, feedback from people. You know, I would love to have a, a cast of beta readers that I could run things by and, and pay, but I don't. So if somebody's willing to read it, sometimes it's my students when I'm writing with them, I'll, I'll workshop my first drafts with them and they'll, they'll tell me. I'll slide that in there right there. Have a read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think? Um, workshop Mr. Noel Day. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but usually that takes like one or two more drafts. And so again, I'll, I'll take a, you know, I'll do it and I'll take a week off and then and do it again. Once I'm certain that the structure is there and that it, you know, the, the, that the arc works and I'm achieving what I'm trying to achieve, whatever that is. Um, then the last two edits are a line edit and a copy edit. So a line edit is just going in, making sure you're using the right words and sentence structure that you're not repeating your, a word too much. Um, that you're, uh, that the, the sentence does what it's supposed to do. Um, like if you're writing a, an action sequence that you make sure you've got you know, short bursts of energy that the pacing feels right. Um, or if you're in a dream sequence, maybe you can use some longer sentences to, to, to make it feel a little bit more expanded. Um, and then a copy edit is, well, first I use Grammarly. I just plug it into Grammarly, see what it can catch. And then I go and read it aloud uh, without going into a microphone um, because you'll be surprised. And this is what I tell my students all the time, how many weird phrases uh, or misspellings or even just grammar errors you will catch when you read something aloud because aloud. yeah, when you read silently, your, your brain's already uh, predicting what's going to be on the page and you'll skip over stuff. But if you read it aloud, you're forcing yourself to hit every single word and you'll, you'll catch stuff better. Um, and then after that, if I can afford a professional letter, I'll, I'll send it to, to one of them. If not, again, I let it sit for a little while and come back to it periodically before I feel like I'm ready to, to put it into a collection or, to publish something. How many times out of the nine books that you published did you put to a professional editor? Twice. And uh, how? Probably to my own. Okay. Go ahead. To probably to my own detriment. <laughs> In what uh, way? Because they could probably be, they could probably, they could be a lot better, I think, once you enter into a collaborative partnership with somebody who knows story. Um, I just can't afford it. It's, it's five cents a word for a development draft and you're looking at 88,000 to 100,000 words and it just becomes cost restrictive. I'm a, I'm a English teacher. <laughs> I, I don't have the money for this. So, yeah. <laughs> so how with the two people that edited your books, how were they with editing too? Did that bring you back to grade 11? Um, constructive feedback oh, or was it, was it, was it, um, read all over? No, I, I think it's in, in that type of partnership. Um, the goal wasn't to, to make me feel like, you know, the, the work isn't worth doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but they brought up, you know, plot holes, uh, mischaracterizations, uh, dialogue things. Was um, there a lot? Last, was it, was there a lot? And you probably were more than I expected. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but I, but also at the same time, I, that's what I wanted. I was like, cool. Yeah, thank exactly. you. I need, that's what I need. Um, in the last one that I did, uh, my co-writing partner, uh, we're writing some screen 
uh, plays together. Uh, I paid him to do it and because he, he wanted to, to get into novel editing because he's always done screenplays. Um, and, you know, he pointed out a lot of the stuff. He's like, he, I, I don't think what you're doing works. Try this, this, and this. And then I went and re, replanned everything. He says, that's good. That sounds like something that I want to read. And that's when I had to stop in the middle because I know the plan's there and I can always pick it up in a month and, and follow it again. Um, yeah, because, without worrying about not being able to finish it. Um, and because of his feedback, I think it's going to be, it actually took one book that I wrote. And I think it's going to end up being two, which actually saves me time because <laughs> now yeah. I don't have to come up with an idea the for the third book. Third book. In your mind, right? I'm, this is the idea of the podcast of getting people in their work and the work, the talent that people have amaze me, right? I'm not sure what my talent is or my skill, but you're a writer, right? So you've written nine books, which is nine more than any, most of the people in the world will ever write. And you're not done yet. In your mind, when you're thinking about these books that you're writing, what is going on like with your thought process and like, in the middle of the night, do you wake up and say, I got it. I, I got to go write this down. Do you have any of those types of moments? Like, is it ongoing dialogue in your mind about these particular stories that you're trying to develop? Strangely enough, or not you anymore. I know it off, you know, I, I have been because I, 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 I know how to, at this point, at least for me, it's like, okay, when I'm working, I'll do that. But early on, I definitely, I would, I would wake up with ideas or, uh, you know, cause it's, it's an anxious brain. Uh, when you're in that creative process, but, but I still do that with music and, and music ideas, like a melody will come to me or a harmony or, or some sort of, uh, you know, baseline or something that will wake me up in the middle of the night and I'll pick up my phone and it's got the voice message thing on there and I'll you know, sneak off into my, my little studio space and whistle it or hum it. Uh, and it's, it's packed with basically me, uh, humming and whistling the, the, the voicemail or the voice app humming or whistling tunes and, and stating ideas as I drive to work, you know, so you hear the car going and the radios on the background. Yeah. I was like, Oh, here's an idea for, you know, another country alt song. And then da 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 da. And then go, so I can always go back and filter through those. Um, and, and in fact, that kept me up last night cause I'm in the middle of, of, of trying to complete a song before we go back to work. Um, and I, I could, I, I had too much caffeine before I went to bed. And so I, I slept for about four hours and then woke up and there was a song, uh, just playing over and over in my head. And I was like, I want to do this to it. I want to do that to it. I was like, ah, oh, you got you to gotta sleep. So I, I read for a little while, slept for another three hours, and then it woke me up again. Like, it was like, no, you need to do this song. I was like, okay, okay. I'll do that tomorrow after I talk to Brian. <laughs> what, what is the value? I think you just mentioned it, but it kind of slipped past me of, you know, writers would say, or whomever, to always have a pen or a pencil and a notepad near you. So what is, what is your device that you, you, if you find that valuable for whatever sort of inspiration that you get, what do you use to keep track if you're, you know, on the subway or riding your bike? Do you, did you say you use an app of sorts or is it, you use it's the, just the, the voice, the voice app on, on my iPhone, um, uh, or the notes app on the iPhone. Okay. I'll, I'll type some things into there. Um. I used to love to write my first drafts by hand and I still do with short mm -hmm. stories, but novels, it just becomes too cumbersome. I can't get, I can't get them done fast enough um, just because it takes longer, but there is a, there is an intrinsic value to writing out a shorter work by hand first because you've done all the hard work there and then you'll do a natural development edit, translating it from page to, <clears throat> uh, to Google docs or pages or whatever it is you're using. Um, Scraps. I, I should show you my desk. I've got scraps of paper and envelopes all over it that have, you know, jotted down ideas um, because I can't seem to keep anything around me. I'll walk around with it and put, put it down somewhere. It's like the idea just happened. I don't want to lose it. So, yeah. okay, business card or somebody that I forgot, you know, you, you get an idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I had a friend uh, that I played music with who would, he would come in with lyrics written down on cocktail napkins all the time because he would have ideas at the bar. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was like, are you going to get like a little clip for that <laughs> so we can figure it out? And he put him up on the wall, uh, and try to figure out what it was that he was doing the night before. It all together. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something similar to that. So you're an English teacher. Mm -hmm. What would you call yourself? I'm an English teacher. I mean, if I mean, well, I, I, first I guess, and foremost, 
Yeah, some of my friends tell me that I shouldn't call myself that. And I go, but that's like my main gig. That's where I get like, you know, that's where the mortgage is paid and I get health insurance. So I don't have a problem uh, saying yeah. I'm an English teacher. Uh, I, but like a lot of teachers, I have a, a, a bunch of side gigs. And I decided a while ago, too, is like, if I'm going to have a side gig, I'm not going to work at McDonald's. I'm not going to work, you know, in some warehouse somewhere. Uh, I'm going to try to make the, the art stuff that I do work um, instead. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but that's a lot more satisfying to me than just picking up a paycheck from working Home Depot part-time. So uh, you are an English teacher and you are an author, a published mm -hmm. author. That's how they'd probably say yes. Many sure. Self-published. Many, oh, is that the, the stigma stat attached to it, the self-published? Or is that, does that mean yeah, not going I mean, to the publisher is what you're referring to? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's not important to, the, to delineate it, but... Um, you're going to get a different project product when you go to a published uh, author. If I could take all of my stuff, I'm sorry, uh, to a publishing house. If I could take all my stuff and, and, and enroll it in that system just to get the editing, I would. Um, I, I don't want to be in that system in terms of marketing um, and uh, the advances they give because it's not worth it. You're going to have to end up doing the stuff that you do uh, as an indie author. So why not reap the, the, the benefits of that? But yeah, the editing, I think that does make a difference. But when you can afford it, you can pay to have your own editing. So the, you don't have third, to go through a publishing house. the third thing that you're in now, which you may have some more things because you said getting side gigs, um, <laughs> is last week you were filming a movie. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So when, when, did, when did you get into movies? When did you get into film? Or did your <laughs> writing always want to be on a screen? Or was that just yeah, a I, natural flow? From yeah. It, it does. It, it well, I mean, first of all, I, I love movies uh, and I love, you know, good television shows, not all the, not all the pablum that's out there, but, um, it came from me wanting to do something else with the fiction for a variety of reasons. Um, and, and honestly, I, I do go to a lot of these like live shows, which they've been shut down because of the virus. Mm -hmm. Um, and the first thought was, oh, well, I can just have another selling point. I'll have, you know, uh, downloads or um, uh, maybe even a DVD that I could sell at these shows that I go to. And, you know, it'll be, a, it'll be based on a short story that I wrote to keep costs down and I'll get it pro professionally done. And since I know how to do sound, I'll do all of the, the post-production on that to, to make sure I can afford it. And it'll be a, just a, a cool marketing thing that I could do as well. But then it, it took on its own legs. And uh, once I started learning more about film production uh, from a couple of classes that I took from somebody who lives in Virginia who does uh, indie film production and got involved with the director and DP who, who live out in L.A. And they started getting people involved from L.A. And it became more and more of a professional thing to the point where now the director says, I want to take this to festivals. We use this as proof of concept. Maybe we can get a feature done out of this. And so I enlisted my friend Chip, who's an actual reps writer out in, in Hollywood. And, and he and I are working on concepts right now. And it kind of just took on its own life uh, in, in that way. But the original intent wasn't to do that. The original intent was um, to have proof of concept of one of my short stories in film form so I could film the rest of them. <laughs> so my... Uh, get funding for the rest of them. So how did that process go? I don't want to take too much of your time, but when did you start filming for that? Was that just a, a the, short period actual, of time? Yeah, the actual production was only three days. It should have okay. been four, but it was only three. Um, but the pre-production, I started planning this in uh, January um, and figuring out how to do it and raising the money and, and selling off a whole bunch of gear that I didn't need to be able to raise the money and uh, interviewing directors and and finally getting one that I was comfortable with and then getting crew. I mean, yeah, that was a good six month project uh, that it took to get that up to speed. Um, and then all the money was in place and the director and DP threw out, flew out on a Thursday. Uh, we went and got, I went up to Northern Virginia to get the gear with the DP uh, on Friday while the director was with the production designer and on set. Uh, figuring out how to make that look the way that she wanted it to look. Uh, I was 
dropping up, picking up uh, the actresses who were flying out as well all day long on Friday. <laughs> and I was the donuts and you're doing yes, it, it, it was that part of the process. I told the director and DP, I was like, I'm not doing that part again. We're hiring somebody. <laughs> if this actually gets made into something that's got a legitimate budget and not you just give someone a job, somebody else is doing that. Cause I was driving all day long and it was not fun. Um, yeah, and then we, we filmed on Saturday and Sunday, and there were still some shots they wanted to get, so we did it Monday morning, and then L.A. people went back to L.A., uh, Richmond people went back to Richmond, and I, I sank into my couch for about two or three days to get over the production exhaustion. Have you ever experienced anything like that behind-the-scenes camera sort of stuff, movie, any sort of things like that prior to this? Yeah, not with film, but with, um, with audio production, sure. Um, it's, it, 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 I think that helped because I knew how long things would take. And I knew that there was a certain amount of standing around and everybody tinkering with stuff before you actually get to with music play. Yeah. Uh, and so watching it happen and they're trying to get a shot and they can't get a, a reflection out of the window and they're, they're moving this and they're moving that. And it took like you know two hours to get maybe a 30 second shot. I was like, yeah, that's just the way it happens. <laughs> that's the way it goes. How would you summarize this this experience? And what did you? Has it been edited? Is it? Have you seen the? No, I'm raising money for the edit right now. Um, I've got about twenty percent of it, and uh, so I put up a, a merch shop with the the Lilith. It's the the movie's called Lilith. I think we're going to call it Lilith Drake because there's too many Lilith movies out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a horror movie, and uh, there is some poison involved. So it's a teacup with a crossbones, uh, you know, skull and crossbones on it. And it says, just drink the tea deer. Um, cause Lilith's an old woman. So I'm selling those t-shirts, uh, through spread shop, uh, to help get the money I've got a donation button. Uh, but once I make the raise, I'll probably make it by the end of the month. Hopefully I'll make it by the end of the month mm-hmm. Then I can give that to the director and DP to edit it. Um, and then once they get their, at least an assembly edit down, they can send that to me and I can start working on the sound and the Foley and the music. Is there a temptation for you to say, uh, honey, can we get a second mortgage? Is there like, or, <laughs> no, <laughs> is your, uh, you're disciplined enough to say, okay, this is my a side gig and yeah. I'm going to just do it. The, what would be the right way to do this? Yeah. I mean, I, I've had two mortgages before we, we had to short sell our house because of what happened with the great recession. Um, and with the lack of teacher pay, you know, teacher, teacher, teacher pay is lagging behind where I am at least 20% of what they promised me when I started. Um, so I know what a second mortgage is and I'm never taking one of those on again. Um, same thing with, you know, with credit cards or anything like that. Like, you know, it's okay. I think to have a low balance, um, just so long as you know, you can pay it off whenever mm-hmm. you want. Um, but yeah, if, if this can't pay for itself, mm-hmm then that's just bad business. That means that you're just taking on debt and not making money back. Um, now, did I, I, did I spend a little bit more money than I wanted to? Yeah, absolutely. That's always the case with film production. Um, but it, this was not a million dollar budget thing. This mm-hmm. was like, I would say this is a super micro budget that we, that we worked on with this uh, and a, a very skeleton crew. Um, but the product looks amazing. I was looking at some of the dailies and the playback and, and the director and DP really know what they're doing. Um, which is why I'm going to pay them to to edit it so that they can, you know, get their voice in there to tell the story. Right. I appreciate your time here, um, James. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) What, what kind of advice could you give to some people who, I mean, you're, I said this at the beginning, you're a hardworking man and (laughs) like you're doing things that you've never done before that are challenging for you. Things that you had to put in hard work when you were younger and not that it's any less hard work now, but you've worked hard to do the things that you want to do. And maybe I'm putting these words, maybe you don't want to go to teach or you don't want to go do the editing or you don't want to do the band one day, but you're getting up, you're doing what it is that you have to do to keep on working. What advice would you have for people who, I mean, not lack the motivation, but are a little discouraged in thinking they can't learn something. They, they couldn't learn, you know, some basic grammar so that they could, you know, write something or at least write out the resume uh, yeah. or go to an interview. What advice would you have for some, just some regular people that are not your English students? I think there's two different levels you're looking at there. I mean, if it's at the beginning level and there's that amount of fear and 
uncertainty for trying something new or maybe something that they're not particularly comfortable doing or, you know, quote unquote, good at, um, you've got to take that first step. And the, the best thing that could ever happen to somebody is to screw it up. Um, I tell my students this all the time. And I tell myself that all the time, screw it up. If you screw it up, you'll learn how not to do that screw up again mm-hmm. and then have the wherewithal to keep on trying over and over again until you, until you get it right. Um, and so at that level, if, you, if you're moving up to, I want to write, um, but they lack that motivation or time or, or whatever. Um, I think it was Toni Morrison or maybe it was Maya Angelou when she was young, she made sure that she wrote every night before she went to sleep. Sometimes it would be a hundred words. Sometimes it would be 400 words. Um, and that, that I think is what you have to do. You have to just put your foot forward and start the thing. Um, and once you get into it, you'll, you'll be amazed at, at, at how much you can actually achieve. Um, my friend Bill Harris, he's an, he's an artist, and I was talking to him about this very same thing a couple of years ago. And I said, well, what do you do when you don't want to go paint? Mm-hmm. He's like, I recognize it. Because, you know, as a creative person, you find a million different things to do before you go do the creative thing. Because it's hard. Yeah. Um, so my house gets really clean sometimes. <laughs> or, you know, the laundry gets done. Yeah. Um, but then he, he said, look, I just go into my studio, even if I don't want to do it, and I pick up a brush and I start. And he says, sometimes I'll get half hour into it as like, I'm done. I'm not doing this. And he goes away. Sometimes it's three hours later and he got sucked into the rabbit hole of, of doing something. He said, either way, you're, you're, you're achieving something for that day. Uh, so whatever it is that you want to do, do it a lot, do it a little bit, just cut out the time and make sure you get it done. Do and it. Yeah. yeah. And if you mess it up, oh, so well, it, it, I mean, uh, you should hear all the crappy recordings I did for 10 years before. Like I had that first breakthrough where I finally understood EQ and compression. You know, they, the songwriting might be good, but the sound quality is lousy. And I'm just, and I still feel like I don't know enough. Uh, but that was 10 years of, of hit and miss over and over again. Keep on trying, keep on trying, keep on trying. What is the most difficult thing that you do? What, do you, what is the hardest thing you do, whether it's in teaching or writing or now, you know, producing movies? And I'll say movies because you'll go on to do some more. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> um, what is the most difficult? You mean like technically difficult or, or motivation-wise yeah, sure. difficult? Or- no, technical difficult. What would cause the, you the most difficulty? Uh, well, yeah, once you know, drafting anything, songwriting or, or, or uh, a piece of writing is the easiest thing. It's the funnest thing. It's where all the creativity happens. Once I start um, you know, going into a mix of a song, I do podcast editing for, for clients on the side uh, or doing my own audiobooks. Um, once you go into the tweaking of it, you know, if, if it's so technical, it can, it can get tedious after a while. Um, that's the most difficult part of any creative project is when you're in the middle of it, uh, trying to get the thing done that you want to get it done. And um, In terms of, of wanting to do something and liking to do something, I hate audiobook reading. Because it's not like this. I can say um and make verbal errors and slur my words and everything with a with an interview. With an audiobook, it has to be very clear, and you have to ha- you have to say the line correctly. Um, and I make myself do it, and I've got to do one today, and I'll probably do it tomorrow because I'll just put it off. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't want to stand here and read from the page and and then and then find all my errors and like ah oh, crap, I already put that out and got to go. So fix it yeah, we so. didn't mention that, but quickly about you're in a booth right now and yes, you do yeah. aud- so that's another side gig that you're doing reading audiobooks it's just another way of marketing what i do uh there's so many different avenues uh, now I, I put it out on a podcast um and then these I also are your own books to, uh, then these are your yes, own books? yeah these are my books okay mm-hmm. yeah so it's just another thing to have to make money uh yeah. off of, of this yeah that's it was about four years ago i decided to start really taking book marketing seriously and that's when I decided, I was like, well, I got all the gear, so I might as well do it myself because then I can save money on the production. And uh, yeah, so I put it out on a podcast. I put it on Find Away Voices, and they distribute it to all these different places where, you know, I'll get a 20 or $30 payment a month uh, from library fees, mainly people checking it out on the library. Um, and that's without doing any marketing whatsoever. Uh, so just continuing to create content in different avenues for ways and ways for people to uh, find out who I am. 
Well, yeah, you mentioned about the, the internet a few years ago it wasn't around or there wasn't the big kick and things are changing. And mm -hmm. when people say they can't find a job, there's things like this that they could do, right? I mean, if they can read well, mm -hmm. right? And, I mean, you don't have to be a certain shape. You don't have to be from a certain, <laughs> like, you just get yourself a booth and try to read. Because you can, I think there's a, a site AX, if I'm not, in, I'm not something sure. Along, there's one where you can just read other people's books who wrote oh, okay. the books and then if that gets picked up like you just put your profile out there and then people pick you up and then you get paid to read other people's books so there's lots of jobs that you can do at someone could do at home with a, you know mm -hmm. all the economy's bad I, I can't get myself a job well there's lots of things you can do online if you just look yeah um with that stuff too it all comes down to marketing as well, uh, you know, I, I have not been able to make a living off of all these little things, but it mm -hmm. does bring in, it does, it, it ends up paying for itself, which is Here all I there. wanted. Um, and, but, you know, part of the film stuff is to, to boost that and boost awareness and, and use that as well as to, to supplement my income even more. Um, but one real good story about what you're talking about is uh, this guy named, his name's Graham Cochran, and he runs a site called The Recording Revolution. And at the last economic downturn, he was an, uh, an audio engineer and he got laid off. And he, I mean, he, you can look him up online. He'll tell you the story. Um, but he just started putting a whole bunch of videos out on YouTube because he had a whole bunch of friends who were like, hey, you know how to record music. And I'm trying to do this. Can you show me how to do it? And then he used those videos to create courses. Mm -hmm. um, and he has now a whole bunch of products on his site uh, that he sells if you want to learn how to be a recording engineer and it was through his site that I, that I got a huge boost in my mixing ability and, and my understanding of, of audio engineering um, was, I would say uh, it, it I, for about four years, all I did was consume his free stuff uh, because I'm cheap. And then uh, I found a couple of his, he, there was a deal he was giving on like, I'm going to give you my full package for like, you know, 200 bucks. I was like, I've got 200 bucks for that. And he's a good teacher. And I started, you know, consuming all of the stuff that it, uh, on his website, essentially, their their videos, their how-to videos. And he uh, he was able to turn that economic downturn into this job, essentially. Uh, and I think he make he makes a living from it. You could it helps that, that he's with, photogenic. <laughs> you could do that with uh, creative writing, could you not? Mm -hmm. I could. Uh, I got caught up in you know all the other creative stuff, and, and doing online courses is, is slightly different uh, for that. But yeah, that's a complete option. Sure. Someone mentioned to me today Fiverr, F I V E R R. Mm -hmm. dot com. Did you ever hear that? I did. I, I, I've, I've I've put stuff. I put my profile on there once or twice, but the people are looking to lowball on that site. Um, is that what you know? That they they want. Yeah, like they'll 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 ask me like, hey, you do podcast editing? How much do you charge? And I'll tell them, and they'll go, oh, that's way too high. Can you do it for this? It's like, no, <laughs> no this is I'm where not, I put my price here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not editing a two hour podcast for five bucks. Are you nuts? Uh, so it, that tends to be the case there. You can find good people on there, definitely. But I I, I started getting lowballed way too much. And I just took my profile down. I was like, yeah, no, never mind. That didn't work. How do you find rest, James? Well, I, I turn it off uh, at a certain point in the day. Um, you know, we're going back to school now. It's going to be all virtual, but I'm still expected to teach. Um, so I'll be up at 6. I'll be teaching until 2.30. I go home and take a nap. I think I, I'm a big proponent of napping. Uh, I think about a one-and-a-half-hour, two-hour nap after school because, as you know, it's exhausting. Um, but then 5 o'clock rolls around. Um, yeah, I'll go to the gym for an hour. Then it's like six to eleven, six to midnight. That what else am I going to do? You know, I mean, I, my my kids are all grown. Mm. <laughs> I've done all the, the the work that I had to do, and I can spend three hours, you know, doing a little side gig and writing a thousand words or mixing a song, and then nine or ten o'clock rolls around, I'll watch a television show and go to bed. You know, otherwise I'm just sitting, and I can't do that. What what has brought you joy? What is your greatest joy in the work that you do? In the work that I do? Yeah. Uh, the, the, having the content, creating content. I love it uh, to the point of it, it takes away from the marketing I should be doing. I would much rather create content. Um, that's fun. That's fun for me. How has work brought you through life? 
How has it helped you? How has it helped you? Been a constant in your life to bring you through, you know, thinking back of the the sub subway maker or the the <laughs> sub maker to the the ice cream disher. Well, other than the you know, I, you get money and and we live in a capitalistic society here. Um, work provides worth. Work uh, provides meaning. Um, I I I know plenty of of friends who don't want to work and I don't understand why I understand why you wouldn't want to work a specific job. They don't want to work at all. And I was like, so you're going to do nothing. Uh, that makes no sense to me. I, and so choose the work that you want and make it meaningful. And, and it's, it, it, well, it's like you said, it gives you joy. Even the, even the parts of teaching that are the most difficult or that I don't particularly enjoy in the moment, gives me meaning it gives me worth it, 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 at its lowest level it gives me something to talk about with somebody else um and in that definition you can find happiness i mean just for an encouragement to you one of my greatest teachers mr strugnell was my grade 11 english teacher and it was he's just very impactful i was a horrible student but he was very <laughs> encouraging and he he led me towards writing and and reading more than and it's just someone i always remembered in closing james why do you work it gives me meaning it gives me direction it provides the worth of my life that's great james that was magic threes by the way <laughs> <laughs> I I appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, you your willingness to do this when you are a busy man and you do oh. have a lot on the go. And so I, I hope you, you nothing but. Also, how can people reach out to you? Um, my website is jamesnoll.net. If they want to, uh, I'll, I'll spell that because people misspell my name all the time. Mm-hmm. It's J A M E S N O L L dot net. Um, what I'm really doing right now, what I'm really trying to do is get the, uh, the finishing money for Lilith. So if you go to lilithfilm.com, uh, there's like a merchandise button at the top and a donation button at the top. Would that be so that's L-I-L-I-T-H? L-I-L-I-T-H film.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, those are the two best ways. Uh, Facebook, I'm at, uh, is it facebook.com forward slash knife back? <laughs> Those are, the, those are the three places I think you can reach me the most. Perfect, James. I appreciate your time. You've been a gentleman and a scholar. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Talk to you later. Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Don't forget to check out LilithFilm.com, JamesKnoll.net forward slash BG, and you can support this show for as little as $1 on Patreon.com. It's Patreon.com forward slash Tales. You guys rock. I'll see you next week.